Welcome to Unapologetic Leadership. I am your host, Dr. Marcus Beelan. I am a principal, a father of three, a husband, and I am driven by my passion of educating young people. The goal of this podcast is to expose the listeners to practical concepts and ideas through the lens of practitioners who are doing the work every single day for kids. You see, we as educators make decisions for our kids and our staff. And if we make decisions that we believe are in the best interest of our kids and our staff, we should be proud, we should walk tall and be unapologetic in our leadership. Topics such as diversity, equity and inclusion, school culture, student voice and leadership experiences are among some of the content you will hear. This is just honest and truthful conversation. These messages are meant to be impactful for those who need it as well as those who are put into positions that impact the lives of young people. It's time to strengthen the pipeline for educators. It's time to dismantle systemic issues and bolster school culture where our youth are seen and heard in the learning environment of their schools. So let's begin to explore and journey through unapologetic leadership. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. Hey, what's up, listeners of Unapologetic Leadership? We are back for another episode. I am with a great friend of mine, a, a colleague, a awesome educator, uh, school leader, district leader, uh, Dr. Mike Lubafell, who is superintendent in Highland Park and we were right down just a stone's throw away from each other. And he has had uh, just an incredible year um, to really rebound from some of the the challenges that that community has faced over uh, in 2022. So I, uh, without further ado, I'm going to throw it over to Dr. Lubafell to go ahead and just tell us a little bit about himself, the work that, that you do and, and the books and all of the speaking and all of the publications. I mean, I, I would miss something if I put it out there. So, man, I'm going to throw it over to you. Thank you for being on the show. Marcus, it is so great to see you. It is so great to spend time with you. I'm really, really proud to be on your show. Thank you so much. Um, I'll give you a, a little bit of the, of the thumbnail version. So I have been engaged in public education for more than 30 years which years ago, I thought I'll never be that old or I'll never be that guy. So I don't know how it happened, right? My wife gets younger, um, I, I get older. Anyway, I started my public school teaching career. I've been public schools my whole time at Bensonville, Illinois at Blackhawk Middle School. I taught eighth grade social studies and uh, sixth grade social studies. And it was an amazing adventure and it really launched so many experiences. I learned a lot about... Um, what was really awesome. And I learned a lot about things that I'd, I'd want to change and, and luckily be able to change in my, in my career. In 1997, um, a personal mentor of mine named Jim Newland, incredible assistant principal at Blackhawk Middle School, and, and a guy who played a real important role in my life, he advised me to um, get my administrative endorsement. And I'm like, I don't want to be an administrator. Are you crazy? I love being a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a regional rep for the union, all that stuff. I said, this is great. He goes, yeah, you, uh, he, and he said, I can see around corners you can't see. And that was a concept that has stuck with me, Marcus, for my whole career. Because as we get experiences and we do stuff, we can see around corners that uh, those 
uh, younger in the career than us, not necessarily age-wise, but in the career, can't see. Um, so I took Jim's advice, got my administrative, uh, started my administrative credentials and all that. Um, and I landed a job here in Highland Park in 1997. So it's kind of weird. Left Bensonville, fondly looked back, learned so much. There came to Highland Park and over a 13-year period, I was a middle school teacher, eighth grade and sixth grade. I was an associate principal at a middle school that transitioned from fourth through eighth grade to fifth through eighth grade. I was middle school principal, grade six through eight. Assistant soup for personnel services, man, that was a hard job. Man, that was a hard job. Assistant superintendent for personnel or HR, I'll tell you, uh, for those folks looking to become a superintendent, that was a real nice training ground for me because there's a lot of conflict, a lot of angry stuff, and a lot of, um, uh, of frustration, but there's also a lot of happiness, policy, and stuff. But after that 13 years, man, I was like, okay, for the first time in my career, I'm a I want to I want to be the next level. I had had mentors help guide me and push me. I had Jim Newland, I had Joanne Desmond, I had Lori McIntyre, I had Jane Westerhold, had Rich Volts. I had, I had a host of people, so many people. Mort Sherman, there's people everywhere, right? Brent Clark. So I'm just blessed with people. But after 13 years here, and at, at 17, 18 year point in my career, I said, you know what? I want to try to be a superintendent. So I interviewed like seven times got rejected uh, six times and got hired once. That's all it took, right? <laughs> so uh, 13 years ago, I left Highland Park after 13 years, ironically, lucky 13, and I became a superintendent at Penoyer School in Norwich. And what a wonderful community. One school, school district, the land time forgot, born out of Chicago politics in the 50s, kind of cool stuff, right? I've been a mm -hmm. Chicago area guy my whole life. Um and I learned a lot. I made a ton of mistakes, made a ton of good choices, had an amazing board, um, wonderful kids, teachers. And after three years, it was time for me to leave. So I went to Deerfield. Now, what was neat about Deerfield is I live there. My wife, Stephanie, and two kids and I live in Deerfield. So I became superintendent where I live. 95% uh, amazing, 5% not so amazing. Poor wife, not allowed <laughs> to speak on Facebook groups, Facebook group kicking her out. You know, you get the deal. Yeah. Um, made a ton of mistakes and had a really forgiving board, but also did some cool work and had amazing teachers, administrators, kids. And then after five years there, literally five years ago, almost to the date we're speaking right now, um, I got a job offer here back in Highland Park where I had left in, in you know, years back. Well, I was really honored and proud to come back and some people said, do I give you congratulations or condolences? Because here in the district, in North Shore 112, um, and then you'll, you'll see, and I appreciate you indulging me to kind of set the background. People had thought the biggest problem that we had here in 112 was image, public image. In 2016, there was a terrible referendum fail, like fail, fail, fail. Superintendent left. He went to the West Coast. Uh, central office fell apart. People went to private sector, private school. Um, <clears throat> you know, board members left and five of them turned over. There were two interim superintendents here, great superintendents, Ed Rafferty and Jane Westerhold, two of the finest. And they were like to the board, y'all need to focus on education, teaching and learning, and y'all need to get yourself a superintendent. So they did. Uh, the problem wasn't buildings, wasn't referendum, wasn't that stuff, right? Isn't it interesting how we think something's really a problem or a trauma 
And then mm-hmm. we experience stuff. So you, you you get that. Anyways, they thought their biggest trauma was just reuniting the community, which which we did because our current board is is superb. And the current team that they've allowed us to build is uh, finest around. Uh, finest next to Huntley, of course, um, you know, but finest around. <laughs> finest here in Lake County. Um, awesome. So I'm in my fifth year here as superintendent. I'll work a few more years, my friend, God willing. We've gone through a lot. So that's that's really the career, uh, you know, 30 plus years in a nutshell. <laughs> and I hope I didn't put all your re- listeners to sleep. <laughs> no, man, it's, it, it's awesome. The, and that's why I gave it to you to to kind of give your uh, highlight reel of, of your educational career, man, because that's that's a lot of experience. And uh, it's awesome because uh, for those of well everyone who's listening to this can't see but man you know Dr. Lubafell is energy is awesome always smiling it just it it's encouraging um to see school leadership at the highest level um you know of a district to to have a smile on all the time and even even with being faced with adversity and challenges like this guy is is definitely a trailblazer he's got a plow on the front of his car and just keeps going uh, you know, <laughs> so I, I definitely appreciate it. Uh, so man, let's, let's hop right in. I, I want to, um, I, a couple weeks ago, probably a month ago, uh, we actually sat on a, uh, advisory board, um, with National Lewis, uh, university, uh, you know, where we both have had some, uh, some time spent. Uh, and so he presented on, um, school safety. Uh, and uh, a preparedness plan and kind of a, a aftermath plan, uh, just based off some of the challenges that Highland Park had experienced recently, um, you know, and so even those who are listening or are connected to education heard maybe a little bit about it, but I really want to just open uh, the, the conversation for you to just talk a little bit about, you know, the the story of Highland Park and what happened this year and, and just some of the nuances of of how you were able to get staff and students and community uh, back on the rails and keep rolling. All right, my friend. Okay, so when we ended this school year on June 3rd, we had thought that the trauma we were recovering from was COVID-19 pandemic and the restrictions and the changes. And quite frankly, that's something we're all still recovering from. We're not recovered, we're recovering from. And a real shout out to the teachers of District 112, support staff, administrators, parents and community and students for dealing with March 2020 to to present time in terms of dealing with all that. I won't even get into that, but I will say we had secured Dr. Doug Bolton, uh, a locally really highly regarded school psychologist who is now in the speaking and consulting and, and, and group therapy type of type of world. And we, we asked Dr. Doug to be our keynote speaker in August, thinking ahead, saying, yeah, we're going to need some healing and some how do we get reconnected and reignite our flame of passion for education following, you know, six different school starts throughout the school year and all that other stuff that we endured. So June 3rd was going to be a pretty good day. We ended the school year. We were like, thank goodness. Okay, move on. Everybody take a break. We did very little PD in the summer, just minimum, um, you know, keep keep the flame burning, but not not to burn people out, give people a, a separation. And then the unspeakable and unthinkable occurred on July 4th. So here in Highland Park, uh, like so many towns all over the country, 
and all over Illinois, there's a fun community parade. So you have the high school marching band, you have the high school football team, you have other dignitaries, you have representatives and senators and the mayors in Highland Park, the park district of Highland Park, which is really phenomenal, does the whole parade with the city. It's not a school district event. And quite frankly, we were just organizationally and institutionally exhausted from COVID. So quite frankly, we did not have an official showing. We did not show up with our trucks and our banners. We didn't go to the parade. However, we had hundreds of parents and students who went as proud citizens. And we also had a number of families who some of our parent-teacher organizations go because they love doing it. And it's a source of community pride. So Highland Park's a beautiful town on the North Shore of Lake Michigan. We're north of Winnetka, Kenilworth, Evanston. We're south of Lake Forest and Lake Bluff, just to give you ge geography. 25 miles north of Chicago a Loop and, you know, 25 miles south of the Wisconsin border, just to orient you. We're literally on the shores of Lake Michigan. Um, my office is in downtown Highland Park, a stone's throw away from where the, the, the murderer, you know, climbed on a roof and uh, about... Uh, you know, 10, 15 in the morning on July 4th, Marcus uh, unloaded uh, a assault weapon style um, killing machine and killed seven people um, and injured, direct injured about 46 and emotionally injured thousands. Yeah. Wow. Around 10, 12 in the morning, I'm in my living room in Deerfield, my wife and two kids. And my daughter says, Dad, what's going on in Highland Park? I said, oh, it's the parade and stuff, honey. We're not, we're, we're just going to stay home. I don't even think we're going to the Deerfield Parade. She said, no, Dad, something's going on. My friends via social media are saying something's wrong. And then my son, my daughter's 18. My son's 15. My son said, Dad, you got to you gotta call somebody. All of a sudden, my, my work phone, my personal phone are flashing. My wife's getting messages, you know, 10, between 10, 12 and 10, 20, uh, everything changed. <clears throat> Clearly, there was a, a mass shooting in Highland Park, Illinois. It made no sense. Makes no sense. Well, got my laptop out, went to the kitchen table, got my phone, said the white phone, turned the TV on. The news had picked up at some point very quickly and um, uh, reached out to all of our school administrators, said everyone needs to check in. Something's going on in Highland Park. It sounds like a mass shooting. Check in. I need to hear your voice. Uh, reached out to the school board. Is everyone okay? Where are you? What's going on? We'll figure this out. Reached out to my um, colleagues in the city and said, "Any, we're here for you. Don't respond. Do what you need to do. We're here for you. Contacted the high school superintendent because Marcus here in, in my area, I'm the elementary soup, K-8, 10 schools, um, 4,000 kids. And the high school superintendent has two high schools, one in Allen Park, one in Deerfield. Um, he's got two schools. So I reached out to him. We talked and it said, something's bad's going on. We need to do something tomorrow. We don't know what it means. We're going to figure this out. So helicopters all over the area. I live in Deerfield, five miles west. We're kind of numb right now. Between 11 a.m. and noon, phones, laptop, iPad, calls, texts, emails. What's going on? Now what? Listening to the news, all this stuff. Noon to four. Checking in with all of our principals, checking in with the park district, checking in with other community officials. Um, by the way, they were, it was an active police investigation, an active police scene. So we also had to make sure we had no maintenance workers in the schools because SWAT was coming in and our security people were saying anyone in any of the schools 
shelter in place because SWAT was looking for the gunmen in our schools. Real surreal, Marcus. It, nothing prepares you for it. Yeah, that's crazy. Oh, goodness. Go ahead. We reached out to all the Lake County superintendents. There's 45 schools in Lake County. We didn't know what we needed. We didn't really know what we were doing. We needed to do something. And again, the training we have prepares us on the site. And sadly, but happily, sadly, but happily, grandparents emailed me throughout those weeks in July and said, I can't believe it, but my grandson knew to zigzag. My granddaughter got me out of harm's way. Whatever you're doing in the schools is working. Sorry, you have to do it. Person after person, parent after grandparent. Marcus, I get the chills speaking about this with you right now. I had to speak to, to people whose elderly parents got shot in the face, in the leg. I mean, these are unspeakable. In any event, we, superintendent in the high school and I and the principals in our district, all agreed. We're all coming in July 5th. We're going to go to the high school. We're going to do community counseling. We're just going to be open. Like it was one of those things, man, where we said, it's not a school shooting, thank God. However, it's a community shooting. We don't know what's happened. We're numb. Our police folks are busy dealing with a crime scene. Highland Park probably had 40 departments reporting. It's surreal, right? Huh. Lake County superintendents, please help us. We don't know what we need, but send anyone you've got. And then between 7 and 10 p.m., so I'm talking about a 12-hour day on July 4th. Federal holiday is supposed to be a happy day. Plans for July 5th, community counseling. Every administrator who was in town showed up at Holland Park High School. Holland Park High School did a beautiful job, really super security, made everybody's there. And we figure out what's going to go on. District 112 runs a summer school. It was closed for July 5th, but we had to, we made the decision that we were going to run it on July 6th. We were just going to have a bunch of social workers and principals and stuff there. Um, July 5th, we all show up in shock and numb. One of the victims was a school superintendent, Lake County, who's a parent in Highland Park. Her two sons were victimized. <clears throat> One's paralyzed, two eight-year-old boys. It's starting to touch us that, that this happened, right? Everyone who died had some type of connection with the school district. Their grandparents, their uncles, cousins, relatives, whatever it was, we're the center of the community. We didn't really know what we were doing July 5th. We were stepping on each other's toes. We were all over it. We didn't have trauma-informed counselors per se. We just had a lot. On July 5th, we decided that on July 6th, elementary schools were going to open one in the north, one in the south. So we were going to just break apart, let the high school do its thing. And the FBI came there for a, a, a family assistance center, which we had never heard of, right? And School District 112, we went to our two schools where we felt more comfortable. Our families felt more comfortable. We had teachers coming in doing chalk art. We had kids just showing up. We had more food than we know what to do with. I learned about squishmallows. Bottom <laughs> line is it was overwhelming, overwhelming. Then the city was able to catch its breath, right? Because they arrested the guy, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then we all became part of these meetings, Marcus, which I hope you never, ever have to be part of, ever. Emergency management, sheriff, state's attorney, police. Um, I'm forgetting people. You know what I mean? Lawyers or whatever. Everybody. There's like 30 of us around a table like what, looking like this. What? I don't know. What are we doing? Any event, the American Red Cross super, super group. Veterans Administration, 
Um, everybody was involved. Talked to our union. I said, my goodness, what's going on? How can I help? And so many of our teachers were there. So the union's like, can you do a little bit more than our EAP, our employee assistance program? I said, sure. So I called the EAP, Marcus, and I said, hi, I've got a problem, but we'll talk about me later. I need some help, though. I explained that was superintendent. We had a, a violent critical incident, a mass shooting. Well, do you all do something? And they said, we do. So on July 10th, which was a Monday, we had only for staff drop-in counseling. We hired a bunch of uh, psychotherapists from the EAP. We've got, they've got local things. Um, and we had over a hundred of our staff come. Now total, we got about 550 employees, 200 contractors. And we had been doing community counseling with the high school and the high school kept doing it. You know, July 5th, 6th, 7th, kept on the weekend, everything. And we kept our, our schools open for a few days. On the 10th, we had all staff. On the 11th, we regrouped here and realized we're opening schools in a month. Uh, what the heck's going on? So communicate, 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 communicate. And I still didn't communicate enough. Video message, audio message, email message, web message, personal message, in person at the schools. I was there physically the whole thing. Still never enough. Had a couple of special board meetings. Marcus uh, dug out uh, school board policy, 4 colon 170, uh, you know, the safety plan, 4 colon 190, the safety plan. And we, um, we took a breath, man. And we tried to say, when we open schools next month at that point, we've got a whole heck of a lot more healing to do because we're not healed from COVID. As I mentioned, we weren't healed from this. Many of our teachers witnessed this shooting. Many of our teachers were there. Many of our students were there. We hired counselors and psychologists and psychotherapists in English and Spanish for trauma-informed practices as best we could, man, during July and August. So when we opened school, we can have it. We also went the whole school safety and security route, right? We had known, uh, pause for a moment, let me go back to um, Parkland in 2018, Illinois launched in a major action with the Illinois Terrorism Task Force, huge set of recommendations. In May 2022, we had Uvalde, still reeling from that as a nation. In May 22, we said, oh, we better dust off some of our loosey-goosey COVID security practices and get serious. We also hired a security consultant. The board hired him June 14th. Man, we thought we were proactive, right? We thought we had it all. Um. And we had made some good decisions, but we had to accelerate everything because on July 4th, we it wasn't just Uvalde or Parkland or Terrorism Task Force. It was here. So we investigated weapons detection systems. We investigated and costed out armed guards at each school. We investigated and costed out, you name it, long drawn out story short. We've invested and got authorization to invest $6 million, $6 million real dollars that some has already been invested since July. Other, it's on order. You know what I mean? Supply chain, trying to get a physical lock here and there and a mechanism. To say it's been exhausting is an understatement. To say it's been scary is an understatement. And to say it's been real trauma, which is not something I'd ever experienced, and I wasn't even there. I wasn't even there. So I'm getting second degree, third degree trauma. Talk to our teachers who are willing to kind of open up and share with me their personal stories. We had to do um, updated Alice training here. And some teachers said, Mike, I can't do it. Take a day off. Try to do it the next day. We have to do it, but you don't have to do it this second. You know what I mean? And we worked it out. We did 
lower key active shooter drills as late this first semester as possible. We're gonna revisit in the spring with a little more intensity. That's in partnership with the police saying, look, we've got to focus on, on, on the, the head and the heart. The good news is this generation of active shooter drills that you and I do, whether we like it or not, and this generation of rapid deployment force training that we've both done, whether we like it or not, in this generation of expecting and anticipating a violent critical incident, which we don't like and got out, no one ever has to go through it ever, which we did here, shatters your innocence forever. Um, I'm proud of the city of Highland Park, city of Highwood, uh, our police. We also had a little crime wave here in Highland Park, which is again, unusual. There was a tragic death of a, of a parent, mid 40 year old man died. We had a tragic death of elderly folks um, due to a domestic and mental health type of squabble. We had a, a, like a hostage situation person hold himself up here. I mean, it's not been your typical. There was even a gun, a gunshot type of situation by the highway. How do we hold it all together? Clear, coherent communication. We hold it all together, destigmatizing mental health and making sure counseling is not only normal and okay, but we yeah. provide it and we sort of push it. How do we keep it together? True, honest conversations, no BS, no, you know, fluffing it over. And how do we keep it together? Providing as much training as we possibly can do. It's one of those things where adrenaline just drives you like, did me or the high school superintendent know what kind of counseling we were supposed to provide July 5th? No, we just had to act. We had to do something. Now we know we'll ask for trauma-informed licensed counselors because trauma is different than everything else. However, God bless the counselors who showed up. They did a beautiful job. They did a beautiful job. Man, so that's, I'll pause there. <laughs> My eyes right now are just like, just in awe. Like, oh my goodness. It, when we when we turned on the news, uh, being here in Huntley, it was just like, this is crazy. With CNN running on the background and just to think like 20 miles, not even down the road, you know, just. Uh, this this chaos is happening um you know what people really lose what people lose sight of is the fact that schools are the pinnacle of every community right there is a school in every community kids have to be able to get to a place of learning a place where they feel safe um you know and and what is most important about this and what I really focused on and I appreciate Highland Park both the high school and the elementary district doing is is opening up the doors of their schools to be a, a space of, of safety. Um, and it took that notion of safety to a whole nother level of realizing, like we spend a lot of time, think of all of the places other than a police station and a community, think of all the other places and businesses and churches and this and that. No one has the level of security that a school does because for eight hours a day, 180 days out of a year, we have hundreds or thousands, in my case, students that are in a building that need to be protected, where their parents, where their grandparents, where aunts, uncles, cousins, community members and agencies rely on this, this building to ultimately be Fort Knox for eight hours of the day. 
<laughs> right? Like yep. that's, yep. and and as a school leader, and as you talk through this, and I, as I'm actually saying this, I'm like, whoa, that's, that's crazy. I'm starting to like process through my building. Like what are the areas in which I need to uh, be able to improve in as a school leader? But these are pieces that, that school leaders don't receive enough training on, uh, enough reason to process because we have to we have to be able to process all of this in the in the wake of a situation taking place we have to process and we have to act at the same time and we have to take care of ourselves as 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 humans because we can't lead others if we're not taking care of ourselves so you know i want to i want to hang on to the mental health part of this for a little bit of our conversation uh of just understanding for you as a school leader how did you manage to be able to lead your district and then the supports in which you were able to bring in to help manage and normalize and validate that it is okay to feel the way you feel, but how do you help people heal and how do you help people move forward as a school? Because schools are supposed to be everything and all things for kids and our staff. How do we help manage that? So first you, and then second, those who you lead. God, thank you. That is well stated. Thank you. Um, well, the adrenaline push lasted a couple of weeks. And I know that's not necessarily physically or mentally healthy, but it was, I've got to, in some way, facilitate safe and orderly for everybody around me, not really knowing or understanding what the effect is on me or what the implication is on me. So part of it was just discounting me for a little bit. And I'm not saying that's the right advice. I'm, you know, just being really, really honest with you, really, really blunt, putting myself aside and making sure I was asking my senior staff who is right here. We work together every day, asking the secondary staff that the principals leaning in to what was going on around us. We had too much food, but we said yes to the food. We had too much squishmallows, <laughs> but we said yes to it because I didn't know what we needed. And I didn't know what someone needed. And I knew that someone else needed to feel like they were helping by giving us a tray of food. And I didn't want to cut their need to feel empowered or good. So I let them do it. Some people just needed a hug. So we hugged people. Some people just needed to do chalk art. So we just let them do it. So part of the healing myself was simply making sure that I wasn't overly controlling. I was simply leaning in and and facilitating whatever the heck was going on um i think we said no once i think we said no once because we were just overwhelmed and we said look we're overwhelmed it's not that we don't want the help we're overwhelmed right now so part of it was just being honest and being vulnerable part of it was saying to my school board folks i need some help i'm going to need you to just give me some emergency authorization for dollars we're paying people to come in. We're doing this stuff. It's not in the budget. Just, is that cool? You know what I mean? We'll, we'll sort it out later. And part of it was, okay, what do you do in this case? And I read a lot of the secret service report on school shooting and all this stuff. I know it wasn't a school shooting, but I read as much as I could get my hands on in between meetings, being and doing. So part of it was knowing I was doing good for others was my salvation or was my way to, uh, keep myself uh, calm. <laughs> My wife and I were walking the dogs one night and a neighbor 
um, had reached out and asked some questions and this and that. And it was like an untimely set of questions. And she said to me, man, I don't think we're going to make it. <laughs> I said, I know, trying to just disconnect with you and decompress. We laughed. It was it was funny. But um, really great wife, great, great kids, great dogs and incredible people I work with. Um, and a board that's real supportive, like, hey, you look tired. I am tired. You know, maybe maybe you shouldn't work, you know, 90 hours a week. Maybe we're right. <laughs> 90, <laughs> only 90. <laughs> yeah. That, so, you know, and, and one of the, the, the biggest challenges, you know, we have as school leaders is being able to separate work, right? Like we can't drive into the, put the car in a garage. Um <laughs> you know, turn it off, walk in the house and be like, all right, cool. Like some people can, some, some, some people have that skill to do. I know I don't. There's times where I come in and my wife is like, all right, Marcus, you got, you got 20 minutes, <laughs> like go ahead, spill it. And then after that 20, I won't hear anything else. Right. Like, and I, I, I appreciate that because sometimes it's just releasing the pressure valve to just say, no one understands. No one can I can't go talk to my APs or I can't go talk to my teachers. I can't because what I'm dealing with, I'm dealing with at my level of, of, uh, of trying to process and figure things out as a leader. Um, you know, and I, I appreciate um, hearing, you know, even as a, as the superintendent of a district, right. That has gone through the craziness of this uh, being able to accept and recognize other people's feelings Right. Like if someone in, in California was like, hey, we just called the local pizza hut and ordered you 200 pizzas. Like, cool. Thank you. Because there's people who are watching and, and you know, not there are people who don't know what to do. But it's yeah. the same. It's the same effect that we have, like when Uvalde or any school shooting happens, you're like, what can we do as a school? We know that that school leader, we know that those teachers, we know that those students, those families are going through something. And there are a lot of people out there with some big hearts that want to just help and support, um, you know, and so I, I, I appreciate that. I value you speaking of that and really thinking about just, hey, I want to be able to validate other people's feelings. We'll accept it. We don't know what to do with it, but we'll take it because we may need it right down the road. Uh, and I also think it's the piece of what do you need six months down the road? What do you need a year yeah. down the road? Right. Right. We can't be a. um, um I heard this when I was younger. It was like the United States of amnesia, right? And it's like yeah. things happen and then we forget about them because it's not prime time. It's not at the at the forefront of media. And unless you put together something super big to remember or a memorial, like people remember 9-11, but the impact of what it is in schools now and how we talk about it and what we do is not as big as it was when I was sitting in the seat as a student looking at the TV going, whoa, yeah, that's really happening. You know what I mean? And at the end yeah. of the day, we have to be able to heal and move on, but there's some people who will never be able to, to fully heal. There will be some people who will never be able to fully move on. Uh, and even in serving in a role as a school leader, like you will always remember, right? Like this is your story. This is your trauma that you've lived through. This is something that you carry and saying, I did that. I led through that. Yeah. Um, the other side of this is, is you know, the the staff and the mental health of staff and, and students, you know, how do you help? They have a choice, right? They, they have a choice to come in as teachers 
um, and educate, teach a curriculum, create relationships with kids and be able to go home, right? Like they don't sign up to take on the the counseling, the budgets, the this, the that, like that's not them, right? Like there's people for that that's called the school leadership, right? Like we want them to come in and just be great in their classroom, but you've had to help your staff across the district prepare for the unthinkable of the kids that were going to walk in and be able to accept the the challenges, the emotions, and help them process through all of that. How did you give them the the strength to be able to do that? Because they're they they're doing it. They did it. They're they're here. You all are starting to really take a breath and kind of get back on the train. How did how did you help them do that? Well, I will tell you. I believe through clear and really direct communication about school security. So. Taking a step back and looking, the Illinois Terrorism Task Force um, asks you to look at uh, three main areas. <clears throat> the behavioral threat assessment, where we've upped all of our training. We refreshed all of our training. We, we increased our threat assessment teams and protocols. Hardening of facilities. And I was really explicit, Marcus, and I may share more than, than the average uh, person or superintendent <clears throat> because... I'm very comfortable letting the good guys and the bad guys know what we've got going on for hardening. I won't tell you everything, but I told you more than I've ever told with respect to what we have and what we were getting to harden our facilities. And that was for internal communication as well as external and response, response protocol in schools. So go back to that whole COVID craziness. A couple of years back, we instituted a universal mental health screener. It's, it's not uh, all that unusual. Many districts around the country did, right? So we were normalizing a mental health check-in just like we check in with MAP testing for reading and writing and, and uh, arithmetic. What we did immediately following the mass shooting is we did a number of trauma-informed training practices and workshops and conferences, some for elementary, some for middle, and some for related service providers. We also have 30... Um, social workers and psychologists uh, combined for our 4,000 kids. It's probably still not enough, but it certainly exceeds all of the um, ratios out there, you know, for national staffing. We also um, were signed up for Safe to Help Illinois, which emerged from the statewide terrorism information um, uh, community because we want to make sure we got enough reporting and tools and anonymous and non-anonymous. And we also, I also shared that not everyone's at the same place in terms of healing. I said it at every board meeting. I said it in every internal communication, said it in every external communication. And it's okay if you're not ready to hear this now. It's okay if you're not ready. It's okay if you need to go do that Alice training online module alone at home tomorrow. You don't need to be in this group right now. Go, it's okay. Um, talk to the principals to empower them as well. Met with the teachers union. We met with the teachers union all the time talking about how are we doing? What do we need? Where are we at? What do you guys need? What's good? What's bad? You know, really keep that going from a high level union admin level. And just asking. We did, we did a couple surveys. We surveyed staff. We surveyed students. Um, and acknowledge we don't know everything. I do not know everything. I'm blessed with great experiences, incredible boards, great people and all that, right? Uh, good friends and everything. Uh, but I don't know everything. Uh, I lead because I'm empowered to lead and because I have to. Um, I will say the cards, notes, emails, text messages, and direct messages from people all over the country 
also helped lift me up. I have to say, people were exceptionally thoughtful, exceptionally thoughtful. And I try to take that goodness and channel it here within our within our own folks. Um, and just to be, I guess part of it was also just listening and, and realizing that not everybody's okay. It's okay not to be okay. We have to be there for the kids. Finally, we implemented um, a weekly check-in, all teachers, all kids. All kids check in emotionally once a week and all teachers had to do it. It was not something the teachers had asked for and I didn't seek any input. It was a very rare command decision. And I acknowledge that I'm adding to the teacher's plate. I acknowledge it. And I certainly don't want to do it in good times or in stressful times. At the same point though, making sure we can identify the good as well as any of the maybe not so good is essential. And our threat assessment teams, Marcus, this year have helped children and families seek psychiatric, psychological, and other medical types of treatments because we've discovered by asking. And that's not easy. That's not pleasant, but it needs to be done. So it's unapologetic as a tip of the hat <laughs> to you, man. <laughs> but we're not apologizing to try to be nice. We're going to call the kids families. We're going to make this. We're going to do this. We're going to talk to the police. We're going to do everything we can. And the bottom line is we're not going to apologize. We'll acknowledge and if we're wrong, we will apologize. Yeah. And if we're wrong, we'll acknowledge it and learn from it and do better. But we really take the Maya Angelou quote to heart. You know, do do good or do as good as you can until you know better. When you know better, do better. And I know mm -hmm. she was more eloquent than I, but we, that, that message resonates with us. We're not going to not do, and we're not going to let perfection um you know, be our, our goal. We're simply going to do as good a job as we can until we know better and then we'll do better. Well, Mike, Hey, I appreciate your time. Um, your, your, uh, your candor, your transparency. Um, this is not something that, uh, you know, that people think, you know, what if, or it won't happen or whatever. We're not, no one, no part of this country, no part of the world is immune to uh, the craziness. And there's some crazy out there. There's a lot of crazy. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's our, it's our job as, as school leaders. It's our job as, as educators to uh, protect our kids, protect our babies, uh, our future, um, because people rely on us to do so. Um, and with very little training, you know, sitting in the classroom, pulling out a book to say, okay, like you hear about special education law, like, okay, cool. There's laws, you know, this and that, you know, there's policy, but when it comes to this stuff, there is, there's nothing that can prepare you uh, for the unthinkable. Um, you just have to have a good heart. You got to be uh, prepared and ready to know that people rely on you for your decision-making. And I am glad that people were able to rely on your leadership. Um, I know you don't do it alone. Like you have an amazing team uh, in Highland Park and uh, to be able to sit back and you said it a little bit earlier, right? Like just being able to give up control um, and just let things happen uh, because we can also burn ourselves out trying to control every single piece of this. Like you need to know every piece. Like we hire people to do their jobs. We hire people to do their jobs. Great. Uh, and we expect them to deliver on that, right? That's where the accountability is, is just knowing that other people are relying on you. That right there is key accountability. 
Um, but I appreciate your leadership. I appreciate your time uh, that you spent here and just giving the listeners just something to think about for those who are going into leadership, for those who are in it, for those who are out of it, right? Like this touches all of us. It's a, uh, it's a topic that we, many people don't care to talk about, uh, but it also is a reality that we, we just need to begin having those conversations. It's better. It's like you said, you know, better, do better. Hopefully you can learn a little bit from this. Uh, and be able to do better going into the next semester or into the next school year, figuring out what you need to do to be prepared. So, uh, Mike, thanks for uh, joining me on the episode today. I appreciate you greatly uh, and appreciate your leadership and humbled for you to for uh, to be a part of this podcast. Marcus, you are a superstar. I'm proud to be your friend, and I'm grateful to be here, not only on the podcast, but I love seeing the great leadership that you execute locally, statewide, and nationally. Thank you, my friend. Happy, happy, and healthy New Year as well. Happy and healthy new year. Take care. Thanks. Hey, what's up, listeners of Unapologetic Leadership? I want to thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Out of the thousands of podcasts that exist, I am greatly appreciative of the fact that you took the time to listen to this one. If you want to find out more about the work that I do, please visit me at drmarcusbeland.com. There you can find information about uh, professional development opportunities as well as keynote speaking opportunities. If you are planning a conference or a district kickoff or you would like me to come visit your school district, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. There's contact information there and I would love to come and visit and hang out with you. Again, thank you for listening to Unapologetic Leadership.